0: Hi, thanks for downloading Pep Talk. If you enjoy today's episode, why not get a free copy of Andy's book or my book by becoming a regular supporter. Visit us at solas-cpc.org and donate just £3 per month. Thanks so much. On with the show.
1: Well, hello and uh, welcome to Pep Talk, the Persuasive Evangelism Podcast. I'm Andy Bannister from the Solas Center for Public Christianity. And uh, my usual partner in crime, my co host, uh, Christy mare can't for uh, family reasons be uh, with us uh, today. Uh, but stepping into her incredibly large shoes uh, is my Solas colleague, Gavin Matthews. Gavin, how are you doing today?
2: I'm doing very well, Andy. How are you?
1: Oh, I'm staring out the window at the Scottish rain, thinking, where is the summer gone? But, you know. <laughs> There we are. Maybe this is summer in uh, in Dundee. Well, we have a very special uh, guest on the show today, joining us from the other end of the country. Uh, we have Ruth Jackson. Ruth, welcome to Pep Talk.
0: Thanks very much for having me. I've just realised I live right next to a garage, and it suddenly just started drilling. So if it's really noisy, just tell me, and I'll shout out the window or something.
1: <laughs> oh, that's, well, that's fantastic. We always like a sort of soundtrack on the, on the show, and, and, and that's amazing. No, we can't hear we can't hear anything, so Fabulous. it's not too bad. So Ruth, you've worn a number of hats uh, in your in your time but the one you're wearing now is you, I understand work uh, at a at premier. Radio, particularly working on the unbelievable uh, podcast with Justin Brierley, a show that lots of people have heard of, and you do sort of producing and behind the scenes stuff there, right? Yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah, so I've come on board with Justin fairly recently. Up until then, I was editing a magazine for youth and children's workers. Um, But one of the remits that um, I'm hoping to be able to develop, and Justin is on board with as well, is kind of developing apologetics for a younger audience. So looking specifically at kind of young people and children and equipping parents and youth workers in that as well.
1: So does that mean those of us who love Unbelievable can look forward to the Justin Briarly sort of plush toy uh, kind of thing <laughs> for small children to cuddle at night or maybe I, not?
0: I'm desperate to get his five-year-old on because he's just brilliant and he asks the best questions so that's kind of what I'm gunning Good. for is you've got Justin show and then you've got his son's spin-off.
1: Oh, I think there's something there. Now, Ruth, one of the things that interests me, as well as the the stuff at Unbelievable, you're also uh, a volunteer youth worker at Christchurch in Feltham. Mm-hmm. And that's a great place to begin, because before I went into like, evangelism, apologetics and all this stuff, I was a, I was a youth worker uh, for sort of three or four four years for a number of churches in in uh, in Southwark, in uh, down in London. And I remember I often find myself thinking, gosh, I wish I knew then what i knew now mm. in terms of engaging with young people in their questions so i wasn't attuned to a lot of this stuff and so i suppose a couple of questions really how have you found have you brought some of the apologetics and dealing with questions into your youth work that you do and i suppose what are some of the big questions that young people have uh you know what is it that young people are asking and struggling with uh, around around faith right now would you say
0: so, um, b- before I start looking at the specifics of the questions, um, one of, I think, kind of the most terrifying verses in the Bible for me is um, is Judges 2, verse 10, which says, after that generation died, another generation who grew up who knew the, neither knew the Lord nor acknowledged his deeds. And I guess um, that's kind of the rallying cry for youth workers and children's workers and, and parents, I suppose, as well, to say kind of not on our watch. We don't want that to be the case on our watch. And so I suppose... Um, it's it's kind of twofold I think the questions are similar but but not always identical between Christian young people and, and non-christian young people so um a lot of the questions that I get from kind of Christian young people will be perhaps around the Bible or a story they've heard or maybe something that someone's told them either about kind of a doctrine or, or something biblical whereas I think for the people outside of the church they tend to be slightly bigger picture stuff around kind of suffering and science and things like that and what I found over the years so I've been a volunteer youth worker probably the best part of 20 years and of course the questions have changed but I think actually the heart of the questions never have so suffering is always one of the sort of top questions Um, but I think now more than ever those questions are very very personal it's not I mean, you know, there would be questions around things like, why does God send coronavirus? But it would more be like, why did my friend get stabbed? They're the very much, you know, how does it affect my personal life and the life of those around me, rather than the kind of macro questions. But I also think as well... um We've seen a lot more questions around mental health. So, um, Bernardo's just recently did um, a survey with YouGov, which suggested that that as, as many as one in three young people might have, um, might have struggles with their mental health. So, that's become a huge thing, whereas those questions might just be a bit more general about suffering. I think they tend to be a bit more specific around, you know, why am I struggling with depression? Why does my friend self-harm? Why did one of my family members die by suicide? It's, it's those kind of really pertinent questions, and I think... Uh, the coronavirus has sort of thrown it all into the air but but some of the statistics around children and young people now at the moment are just horrific so there was another um, recent study that the children's society did um, which came out sort of in the middle of lockdown which said that out of 24 European countries 15 year olds in um, in the UK have got the lowest overall life satisfaction and there are various ways that they measure that but that is just heartbreaking and I think as youth workers and children's workers and parents and pastors and quite frankly anyone who cares about young people we have got to stand up and do something about that. Mm.
2: I know this chap who is uh, he, he's middle-aged now. And 40 years ago, he was in a, a Sunday School or a youth group. and He put his hand up and asked a question. And, and he was told by the church leader, just be quiet, stop causing trouble, just believe. And he said, at that moment, I knew it was rubbish and, and walked away. It's just just a terrible story, but a true story. And does that still go on today? Is, is that kind of pressure still on your people? Or, or have we learnt now to give children young people a space to... Ask and engage with those kind of questions?
0: I mean, that's just horrifying and unfortunately not at all uncommon. I think we're getting better at it. Um, the stats are still terrifying about the amount of young people that fall out of the church. So um, there's a book called Sticky Faith that was published a few years ago, which was predominantly in the States, but it did look a little bit at UK stats as well. And it seems to suggest that around 70% of young people fall out of the church when they hit their teenage years. And a lot of that is because they weren't given the opportunity to ask questions. I think we've got slightly better at it in youth groups, but we're not good at it in children's groups. Um, I, I think sometimes we think those children aren't old enough to be able to cope with questions and things like that. But um, I don't know whether you've come across a guy with an amazing name called John Westerhoff Third. I mean, the fact that there are two other people before him <laughs> with the same name is quite amazing. Um, but he talks about the stages of faith development. And the first one is um, experienced faith. So they, you know, when a child is small, they experience the faith through their parents or through their peers, other people kind of within a church community. The second one is affiliative faith. So they begin to do some of the things that you would do in a religious community. They begin to kind of, um, you know, do some of those things for themselves. And then the third one is searching faith, which is where young people are given the opportunity to ask questions and kind of to grapple with some of that stuff and make sense of it for themselves. And then and only then, once you've done the third stage, do you get to the fourth stage, which is owned faith, which is where it really becomes a personal faith. And I think for so often what we've done in the church is missed out that third stage, that searching faith. And we've not given our young people and our children the opportunity to grapple with the big questions because we're scared of where they'll end up. And so what we've ended up with is no owned faith we don't have young people who have got their own personal faith which means that you know when they hit their teenage quest- um their teenage years and they hit questions from their friends at school or they go to university or the workplace and they're faced with difficult situations they suddenly lose their faith completely because it was never theirs to to begin with so there's a there's a Christian parenting blogger um in the states called Natasha crane who um says that a borrowed faith leaving home, it can be just as dangerous as a broken faith and um, because the results are often the same. They're just delayed. And I think she's hit the nail on the head there that actually if if our children have only got a borrowed faith, that's just as dangerous as them not having a faith at all, um, because we're, we've not equipped them to be able to answer those things for themselves.
1: Mm-hmm. Ruth, it's one of the issues here too. I mean, as you as you describe that, I mean, I think I'm I'm both sort of sort of sort of quite challenged, but also encouraged that the, the church I think is beginning to do to do better in places. Is one of the issues though that perhaps as Christian parents, those of us with with children and teenagers have at times had a tendency to sort of you know delegate all the work of faith building to the church, and so it's like I'll send the kids off to the yeah. youth leader, I'll let them deal with it. And that Christian parents are not actually kind of building things into to how we raise our, our kids at home. Is there a challenge here for for parents and and discipleship at home as yeah. well as for the church?
0: A hundred percent. It is hilarious, isn't it? That you know parents are with their children for you know most of the day, or just like certainly in the morning, in the evening af- after school, and yet um, we think that an hour on a Sunday, if that is is all that is needed by a professional in, invo- in inverted commas um, to to sort of look after the faith of our children and it's so not biblical for a start um and also i just think it's not the way it's meant to be it's, it's that age old, age old proverb that it takes a whole church to raise a child and I think parenting is such a key thing but I also think key figures within the church I know in my own life um, you know I, I sort of grew up in the faith I'm a pastor's kid um, so it could have gone one of two ways um, but for me older people within the church community who weren't my parents that, that was such a key thing but I also think yeah parents have got such a, such a key role and we need to as Christians be supporting parents be coming alongside them praying for the children but but you know practically saying is there anything we can do to help um is there a particular area that they're they're interested in or you know can we sort of take them one day a week so um, a girl i used to work with she um became a christian through an old lady inviting her to lunch every every Sunday and they would just not you know, she didn't shove the gospel down her throat. She would just sit and eat jam roly poly and just talk about life and and basically through kind of just being loved every week, this this girl, my friend, became a Christian. And I think actually so much of it is just walking alongside our young people on their journey, meeting them where they're at, not expecting them to come to us. Um and, and needing that to be within a whole community, not just not just down to one individual or one family.
2: So if somebody listening to this is maybe involved in children and youth work and and they're listening and hearing what you're saying and say, I really need to engage with this phase of searching faith, but they've got this curriculum they're expecting to roll out. How do they open the floor to questions? At what age should they start opening the floor to questions? What resources should they use? They might be terrified of doing it. How should they practically go about engaging young people with where they are?
0: Um, you've totally hit the nail on the head there I think fear is one of the big reasons that we don't ask these questions because I think we think if we give them an opportunity for questions they're going to ask questions that we don't know the answer to and I also think that's, that's okay it's okay to say I don't know in fact that's such a humbling thing and you meet great giants in apologetics like Professor John Lennox who very humbly will say I don't know sometimes to a question and I think that's really important but I think we can't leave it there so we'll say I don't know but then what I think is such a key thing particularly as a youth worker but also as a children's worker is to say I don't know but why don't we journey in this together let's try and find out some of those answers together and you'll build relationship in doing that um, and you'll learn something along the way and um, so I, I in terms of the age thing I think it's probably really dependent on the child but I also think you can't start too young um you know the the, the opinion that they have of God when they're really little will effectively be the opinion that kind of stays with them um until until they get old. So if you teach a child that um, God is a kind of, uh, you know, a victory soldier that will always sweep in and save the day and every single one of your prayers will be answered in exactly the way you want it. And, you know, all the kind of sweet stories that we tell them while hiding some of the more, you, you know, slightly harder to tell stories, then I think we're actually doing them a real disservice. And obviously you've got to talk to them in a child appropriate way. But I also think We've got to be honest with them about the fact that we do live in a broken world, and therefore things will not always go the way that we want it to go. But we have a God who is always alongside us, and you see that in, the, in you know, in the incarnation that He refused to stay distant and came in to meet us in our mess. Um, but I also think starting younger is is really important in light of the fact that actually what was affecting our young people sort of 10 20 years ago is actually now affecting our children so this this is a horrifying example and i'm not saying we should talk to children about pornography but the average age of children looking at porn now is 9 years old mm. and that used to be kind of 15 16 so these issues are rampant um in our schools and you know we are talking about sex and relationships in primary schools whereas before that would have just been secondary school. So I think there's something to be said for starting it younger. And in terms of how we do that, again, I think it's totally dependent on what works in your context, whether in a family situation or a church situation. But I think just kind of open forums where perhaps at the end of each session you sort of set the precedent that you can always ask a question. Or there'll be a box at the back where you can write your questions. And so I do a lot of kind of youth camps and and we quite often will have a box throughout the week where, you know, often Depending on what the questions are, particularly if it's around things like sex and relationships or stuff that you were a bit embarrassed about, or maybe you've been a Christian your whole life but you've got a question about the Bible that you don't want to ask in front of all your friends, um, you know, writing it anonymously or, or tweeting it in or texting it in um, to a number that sort of doesn't come up with your number, I think those can be really good ways. But then there are also some great kind of youth festivals and things like that that can often be i think there's something about taking them to an external place um and sometimes those processing but like processing can be a little bit easier when you're not in your own environment
1: yeah it's interesting you you say that ruth i mean when i was in canada i was there based there for six years there was a big report came out called hemorrhaging faith that looked that came out with that same stat of 70 percent, mm-hmm. but they also flipped it around and asked you know what it was that helped young people who stayed to remain and two of the things I remember them coming up with were: one was apologetics and answering the questions; the other was the one you just landed on there, which is taking young people out of their context, either on you know short-term trips or or even short-term mission trips, making a massive difference. But look, a question I wanted to to to, to put to you that also came out of something you just said there. You mentioned issues around pornography and sexuality and stuff, and I think one of the things that's accelerated those questions among young people has been the internet and digital culture. And that's an area where sometimes those of us are older struggle. You know, it's often been said that young people are kind of digital natives. They grew up in this. The rest of us are digital migrants We're coming into this. You know, what are some of the issues in terms of engaging with young people uh, when those young people may be living their lives, you know, 24-7 uh, plugged into the web? Um, you know, digital devices at younger, younger age, the influence of things like, uh, like social media and so forth, which has changed the whole dynamic of conversations. How do we factor that? Into how we engage uh, with young people today, perhaps both in terms of those who aren't got a, who haven't got a Christian faith, but also in terms of discipleship. Where does where does social media and digital technology come into this?
0: So I think. In some ways you could go to two extremes. So I think it's really important that we acknowledge the dangers of social media and the internet. And, you know, our young people living a life effectively always behind a filter, never being honest with anyone, always having sort of airbrush and showing people the best bits of us. And I think actually as Christians, we have a real duty to live lives without a filter, to be honest in our struggles, to talk about the difficult things, but to show that God is with us in the midst of those struggles. Um is, is kind of the first thing. But um but what is interesting. Interesting as well a lot of the kind of execs at various tech companies in silicon valley are taking their children off social media and not giving them smartphones and things like that because they've seen the dangers of addiction and, and things like that so you know i'm sure you guys know all of this but but the kind of addictive properties of social media and, and smartphones and the dopamine hit that young people will get from their phones so they did they did a study recently about um young people sleeping near their phones even if they were switched off young people slept worse because they were effectively wanting that dopamine hit so they were they were anticipating someone messaging them and therefore not sleep not sleeping as deeply even though the phone was off so there's all sorts of you know unhelpful things and um i interviewed um Mark John Mark Comer recently, who wrote that book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Ironically, I speed read his book the day before in order to interview him. But he has got some really interesting stuff around, um, sort of Sabbath generally, but but digital Sabbath and being really strict with not letting our technology, um you know take over us but but being lord of technology and he's quite extreme in some of his things around like not letting his children use um they don't have phones and and not letting them use technology and on a saturday which is their sabbath because he's a church pastor you know they kind of they sabbath technology completely so they don't watch telly they don't um then they're not on any device or anything like that so that's that's one extreme although he does use social media himself and then i suppose the other extreme um is that we see social media as a tool and as an amazing opportunity to share the gospel so in some senses i think if young people are online why are we not meeting them there it's it's the opposite of if we build it they will come and expecting them to come to church and i think what we've seen particularly in coronavirus where we can't necessarily meet in churches what an amazing opportunity to share the gospel so i was chatting to a guy just earlier who um you know normally they have maybe 500 people at a service it's a big church anyway but they've been reaching 40 Thousand people online because so many more people are engaging and who knows whether those are christians already but i think that there's so there's the two options either we kind of take ourselves completely away from technology because it's dangerous and and it's not helpful or we so engage with our technology because that is the way to to reach young people and I personally think that we probably need to get a balance of the two we need to be aware of the difficulties and the dangers of um, technology and be talking to children about those dangers um, but I also think we can't take ourselves completely away from it because that's where our young people are and if we want to be speaking the language of the masses then we need to be where the masses are so and um, there's a verse I think it's in um, 1 Chronicles 12 yeah 1 Chronicles 12 verse 32 I think it is it speaks of the men of Issachar who understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take and I think we need to understand the time the signs of the times um, when it comes to our young people and a lot of that is kind of the the, di- the digital media that they're engaging with and then we need to speak kind of a better story into it so it's about kind of taking culture and and bringing the gospel into it i think
2: There seems to be a tension, not just in social media, but similar patterns. Uh, I see a tension between parents and pastors who are more kind of pastorally wired, wanting to protect young people and corral them and keep them away from the world because the world's big and scary. And others who are more missional, wanting to equip young people and send them into the world to influence it. How do we get that balance right? Not just in social media, but across the piece?
0: Yeah, it's really difficult. And I think, like you say, there are those two extremes that you can do with social media as well, as as well as sort of in the, in the physical world. Um, I would tend towards the kind of mission, and I don't know whether that's just because I'm an evangelist, but I do think as well, kids are the most amazing evangelists and all the stats would bear out um, that young people come to faith um, before the age, of, like most people who have become a Christian become a Christian before they're 19. And a lot of that will be peer to peer evangelism rather than kind of top down evangelism which makes sense because you know as a teenager as a young person your um, relationships with your friends are so important and um, so i would say that actually we have got a real duty to equip our young people to be brilliant evangelists but but not to be someone they're not you know to kind of speak out of who they are and who god's made them to be and um, and i do i do think we we've obviously got to protect our young people for for some of this stuff but i don't think that is by taking them out of the world because i think if we take them out of the world all we're doing is um kind of come, like you know wrapping them in cotton wool and then eventually they'll have to be released into the world and then they're kind of completely unprepared as to how to process it and how to deal with this I think what is a much more powerful way of doing it is having an open conversation with them um, right from the offset talking about these difficult things from a really young age so that they're prepared for those conversations Um, and and effectively making a space within our homes where no question is ever off the table you know nothing is too embarrassing nothing is too difficult nothing will upset mum and dad or or, or mom or dad uh, and you know just kind of talking openly and honestly about these things and i think as well being provocative with the questions that we ask them um where they might be too scared to talk about things so so perhaps using kind of news stories and things like that to talk about difficult things
1: mm-hmm. ruth we're coming uh to the end but uh one last question i wanted to kind of sort of throw you away we've talked a lot about reaching kind of young people in the church and parents and so forth or being equipped to do that but to turn it around in terms of christian young people who have a a faith in Christ. Sometimes I sense they can be sort of a little bit nervous sometimes about talking about their faith, you know, at school to their their peers. What are some of the ways, uh, that uh, churches and, and parents can perhaps be equipping their kids so they can not just answer the questions of their friends, but really actually get out there and be and be missional. How can we really, you know, get some sort of, uh, you know, sort of fuel into the tank of evangelism for young people so they can reach their peers? Because I completely agree when they do, when we can do that, they're amazing evangelists. Are there ways we can be empowering Christian young people to do that more effectively?
0: I mean, I think the key thing is to. Um is to help our young people to sort of cultivate their own faith and to kind of get a fire in their belly for themselves. And then in some senses, they can't help but share the good news because it's so contagious within themselves. So, you know, that kind of famous prayer of John Wesley that he said he would um, ask God to set him on fire and then he'd go out and people would watch him burn. And I think our prayer for our young people within the church has got to be that they will be on fire and um, just helping them to, Cultivate their own faith in a way that is just contagious. So, you know, I love that the kind of classic apologetics, 1 Peter 3 15, always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the hope that you have. And that kind of implies that people will be asking us questions because our lives look different, because our lives look attractive. And that sort of, you know, the famous quote from Blaise Pascal about making the gospel um, attractive, make people wish it were true and then show them that it is. I think actually, if our young people are living attractive lives, where in the midst like i said in the midst of these kind of you know instagram filters where everything's fake if our young people are living kind of no filters honest lives, then actually people are going to be drawn to them and they're going to be drawn to that hope. And I think, you know, COVID has kind of brought up all sorts of things, but what our world desperately, desperately needs is hope. And what our young people who know the gospel, they they know they have a hope. And there's that kind of deeper understanding that even in the midst of darkness and mental health issues and all the struggles that are going on, they've got an anchor that will not move and they've got a hope that should be contagious. And I think actually that's what we need to be cultivating in our young people is how to have that hope for them themselves and we don't even need to i don't think we necessarily even need to tell them how to share their faith if their faith is so on fire it's mm. going to be impossible to shut them up
1: what a what a fantastic place to uh to end ruth it's been a real uh, privilege having you on the pod uh, on the podcast thank you so much for taking the time and how kind of busy you are but there's so much Charlotte, helpful kind of advice and wisdom uh you've shared over the last 20 minutes so uh so thanks very much for uh, all you're doing and thanks for being on pep talk today
0: thanks for having me
1: well, thanks for listening, all of you at uh, home or in the car or wherever you are as you listen to this. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks' time with another episode of the show. Hope you've enjoyed this one and
2: uh, speak to you soon.